Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 39th episode of Crime Over Wine, the only podcast with head-scratching true crime stories that are just better over a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Liam Collins, and I first met my guest co-host this week at a TV station right here in Chattanooga. She is a Texas girly through and through. My guest co-host this week is Marissa Stacy. Hello, Marissa. Hi, Liam. I'm so excited to join you this week. I know we've been talking about this for what seems like ever now. Oh, for so long we like listen i first found out that marissa was like such a true crime girly like back like two years ago actually two years ago um today um actually well it wasn't like exactly today but it was two years ago today um as of the recording of this podcast um when gabby petito went missing um when gabby petito was report was like vanished into the into thin air um basically um and so that's how i found out that marissa like how into true crime marissa was and so 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 i guess we've been talking about this for two years ish so yeah yeah big time so i'm so happy you're here um but i'm also so happy to be drinking wine with you marissa because i don't think that we've ever done that before so let's do that yeah i don't think we have either which is weird yeah. enough yeah it is really weird so this week we are drinking 90 plus sellers cabernet an aromatic melody of black currant cherry and cassis rising above a harmonious backdrop of tobacco mocha and toasty oak what a description i feel like i, I... Like that was like a book <laughs> i was reading the bottle and the way it was like labeled on the bottle i was just like Wow, they really they're yeah. giving us they're <laughs> right. giving us every detail that I know is they really are a part of this. Listen, sometimes I feel like like some wines though like don't even put anything on the bottle, and so I appreciate I appreciate the effort here. Um, I don't like when when I'm just like surprised and like I'm ninety nine percent of the time I'm not going to pick up the bottle or, or uh, buy the bottle if I don't know like what the flavors are, what the notes are, what the what the hints are. Like I need to know everything. I I do need to be honest. I am not okay. the, I'm not the best wine taster. Like. I'm so proud of them for listing all those things. I'm going to taste this and tell you if it's good or not, but I won't be able That's to fair. tell you if I can taste all those flavors. <laughs> Listen, we can get you there, Marissa. Like one of okay. like like we like I will train you up to be a little like be a little amateur sommelier like me. So That's what I need. Yes, you do. Oh my gosh, I can't. It's like <laughs> This is why I opened mine before we started recording. Yeah, that's honestly fair. Uh, so I never really have like a hard time like opening the bottle with looking the cork out, but this one's really in there. Yeah, so. mine I had to like almost go all the way through actually to get the cork out. Thirty nine episodes. I've never had this hard much this hard of a time opening the bottle, and here we are. So you know what? I'm. This is a good run for me. There you go. And the, and you know what? For the record, cork didn't even break. So I'm. You know, I did pretty good. You're better than me, Liam. If it was up to me, everybody would be having screw top. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I've earned every single second of this wine, so cheers to you, Marissa. Thanks so much for coming on. Ooh. (laughs) I don't think it's supposed to be buttery, but I'm getting buttery. No, it is definitely a little buttery. You're definitely right. It's very smooth, bold, dry, very, very dry red. I'm trying to find the mocha. (laughs) That's what I'm, like, sitting over here doing. I do, I do taste the mocha, and I definitely taste, so so tobacco, mocha, toasty oak, I taste all that. I'm not getting any of these, like, red fruits, though, that they're talking about. Maybe it's just me. But... Oh, I'm getting the cherry. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, you're right. I do get cherry, too. I feel like, isn't it crazy? Like, I feel like I have to, like, really focus in on, like, finding that one flavor in order yeah, to, you, like, You have get to it. think, like, almost, like, think right. which flavor it is I'm, like, tasting for, and that's the one I can yeah. make myself, like, 
have. Mm -hmm. That's one that pops out. No, <laughs> I like this one a lot, actually. This one is, it's very tasty, very, like, very mouth forward for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and also, there's just a lot of flavor in there. Yeah. Yeah, they're there for sure. This is the kind of, this may be my new favorite Cabernet, y'all. Like, move aside. Slow press. I am, like, listen, if you listen to episode 26 of this podcast, you know that slow press is my jam. I think this is beating slow press. I really <gasps> think so. Oh my gosh, this is huge. No shade to slow press at all, but this may be my new go-to chill wine. Chill wine? No, I'm so down for this. Well, I'm so glad that we did that, um, because I, otherwise I probably, I don't think I ever would have picked this one up and like really thought about it so much. So I'm so, so glad we did this. Well, speaking of, you know, things that I can't stop thinking about now, I can't stop thinking about this case that, we, that we're talking about today, Marissa. So let's start talking about this. I'm so excited. I have a lot to say. I know you're going to have a lot to say about this one. So let's get there. So this week, Marissa, I want to tell you a story that will leave you thinking if just one thing had gone just a little differently here, where would we be today? It's a long and crazy story. So buckle in that forces police agencies from across the country to connect the dots in a way that they never thought they would. This week, I want to tell you all about Louise Ogborn and the fast food offender. So, first of all, I want to give all of my listeners a trigger warning that we are about to discuss some very graphic details that are very necessary to get at the horrific nature of this case. And a lot of those details have to do with very explicit mentions of sexual assault. So, if you're not interested in hearing that, I will give you all a warning before we get there so you can skip ahead if you want. But I wanted to put that warning out there just in case it's too much for some of our listeners to hear at all. And I also wanted to say that I'm going to put a lot of resources for survival or friends and family of survivors on our website and in our show notes too. So go check those out if you think you need those. We are starting our story in Mount Washington, Kentucky, about 30 minutes southeast of Louisville. 18-year-old Louise Ogborn was working part-time at a McDonald's in town to save up money to head away to school at the University of Louisville in the fall. Her mother had health problems and had just recently lost her job, and so Louise took this job to help support her and her family. She was really hardworking and willing to do whatever it took to make ends meet. On the evening of April 9th, 2004, Louise's assistant manager, Donna, knowing that Louise was both hardworking and needed the money, asked Louise if she would stay to work through the dinner rush since the employee that was supposed to come in wasn't going to be able to make it until later. So Louise agreed, ate dinner provided by the restaurant, and then clocked back into work until this other employee was able to come and relieve her. But shortly after Louise clocked back into work, Donna pulled her aside and told her that she needed to come back to the manager's office. Now, I'm not sure what was running through Louise's mind about what Donna could possibly have to talk to her about, but I can promise you it was nothing like what Donna was actually about to tell her. Donna told Louise that she was on the phone with 
a police officer and the store manager. The officer told Donna that they were looking for a young petite brunette girl who they believe stole someone's purse. And the officer said that they needed to talk to the employee matching their description, and that employee was Louise. I, I'm i a little already thrown off. You already are throwing me for a loop here, because... Well, buckle in. Yeah, well, much like Louise, this is not what I was expecting um, to happen when she got mm-hmm. called back to her manager's office. And so, yeah, now... Now that the police are involved before anything seemingly has happened, I'm a little, I'm, I'm more intrigued. Yeah, that's a good point. Usually, like, police get involved, like, like something happens, or, like, someone finds something, or someone does something, and then police get involved. And so, good, no, good catch there. It is kind of, like, all happening in reverse here. Um, but we're about to get to exactly what the whole situation is. So, buckle in. There's a whole lot to get through here, Marissa. And I say you're taking another sip of wine. You're going to need it. So (laughs) Louise insisted that she didn't steal anyone's purse. She was a good person and would never do such a thing. And Donna knows that. But the officer on the phone is insisting that Louise is their girl. And Donna needed to intervene right away. The officer gave Louise two choices. She could either be held at the restaurant until an officer came to take her to the department for questioning. Or she could consent to a strip search. Those are two very different options. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's either like jail and like you're like literally being taken away from the restaurant in handcuffs, right? Or like you can stay there and like take off all your clothes, like and show that you don't have anything. Oh, I guess I don't know. I guess I was thinking like her manager was going to be like she wasn't going to have to wait for police for the strip search. (laughs) Oh no, very much so. That like the intention here is for Donna to be conducting the strip search, just to be crystal clear. Okay, yeah, that's the intention. That's what the police have in mind. Just because, and to be clear here too, like to give a little bit of context, um, like the the officer and like we kind of mentioned this throughout, like we're about what we're about to describe. But the officer like continually says, um, to Donna, like we're just so short staffed. Like it's a small department. It's a small town, right? And so they're just like we're so short staffed. We just don't have anyone here right now. Like, can you guys? just like help us out like can you guys you know like you know like step in and just kind of like try try to like you know get ahead of us a little bit until we're able to get someone over there and so that's that's what donna is thinking and it's like a reasonable you know thing to like believe i suppose you know in a small town where you probably know like all of the police officers in town right or at least like know someone who knows somebody yeah no i guess that does make more sense so they're probably like just thinking like oh let me just walk on in and get this done to help them and I'm sure on Luisa's end, like, being in, like, uh, assuming she's innocent, believing she's innocent, she's like, whatever, just get get this all over with. Right. I know I didn't do anything wrong, so just, like, do it. Like, why the heck not? Like, I know know you're not going to find anything. And, two, um, like, who's been in this situation before? Like, people, like, like, between Donna, between Louise, between everyone who we're about to talk about, like, who has been in this exact situation before? Nobody. So... Keep that all in mind, too, I think. Um, well, you know, not wanting to get taken to the police department, but also knowing that she is, like, totally innocent, Louise decides to consent to a search. She is told to empty her pockets and to give up her keys to her car and her cell phone. After that, she is told to strip all the way naked and is given only a dirty McDonald's apron to cover her body. So, one... The fact that there is being a strip search is just crazy to me. But mm-hmm. I think adding to it the fact that it's just in McDonald's, like yeah, in the back, and yeah, and this, and and too, like I've like again, I've worked in these kind of environments before. I've never worked at McDonald's, but I've worked in like you know restaurants, like you know chain restaurants and stuff. Like these, like manager's office 
offices are like a two by like smaller than the closet I'm in right now, like literally. And so like I like like so this is all happening like within close quarters and they're like like you're like a foot away from this like naked girl, right? Like it's like it's just I just like I'm picturing like all of this like really uncomfortable, like intimidating type of environment for Louise. And also just like barely not a minor. I mean she's only eighteen. Right. Like <laughs> barely yeah. barely is this legal. <laughs> Right, right, it's true. Well, after Louise takes off all of her clothes, Donna says that she needs to go check on the store. But in the meantime, while officers are still on their way to the store, at least say they are, the officer on the other line insists that someone stay in the office to watch Louise. So Donna asks 27-year-old Jason Bradley, another store assistant manager, to come in and look over a now scared and tearful Louise. When Jason gets on the phone, the caller tells him to instruct Louise to drop the apron so that he can see what she may be hiding behind it. But Jason is, like, not very comfortable with this at all, and he refuses and leaves the office. Donna returns now and gets back on the phone with the officer. She tells him, again, that she has to get back to the very busy storefront. The officer then asks Donna if she's married, and she says she's not married, but she is engaged. So the officer tells Donna that she needs to call her fiancé to come and watch Donna in her absence, and she does. She calls 43-year-old Walter Nix, who, by the way, doesn't even work at the restaurant, to be clear, to come and watch over Louise while Donna was tending to the restaurant. Walter gets back on the phone when the caller tells Walter the same thing that he told Jason, that Luis needed to remove the apron, and Walter follows these instructions. He tells Luis to drop her apron, and she does. So there she stood, her naked body exposed in this office, alone with 43-year-old Walter Nix, a total, complete stranger. I I just can't even imagine, like, all of this. Like, my head is spinning at this point, like... Everything from start to finish of how this has happened is just right, absolutely insane. Yeah, no, it is, and and too, like, I, like I should note here, like it's all happening very slowly too. Like it's like my understanding is it's like it's like okay, like tell her to empty your pockets. Okay, okay, you know, look through the keys, whatever, whatever, and like maybe a minute or two passes before they're like, okay, you know, tell her to like take off her pants, you know, like, like, and it's like, and it's so it's like escalating, like, like, you know, bit by bit by bit, but all very slowly and stretched out. So it's almost like, like, in my mind, again, like, putting myself in Louise's shoes, which hopefully I never have to be in her shoes, like, it's almost like getting comfortable, I suppose, with, like, the last thing you just did, so that way, like, when the next thing you that they asked you to do is, is you know, even more extreme, it just is, like, like, okay, like, sure, it doesn't feel as bad, I suppose, whereas if it's just, like, okay, take off all your clothes, and it's, like, all over in two seconds, that seems crazy, right? Yeah, okay, no, that makes a lot more sense, and, like, a timeline, kind of, of it, that it's happening mm-hmm. kind of gradually but I mean still like your place of work and you're pretty much being told right. like you're gonna stand here naked with like right I imagine anybody could just walk on it <laughs> I don't know yeah like, well and like too like like again just this girl like high school senior presumably right and like d- like 18 year old girl like probably minimum wage job right like it's just like this is a place that you should feel okay to be in and it's just not working out that way so and the fact that she wasn't even supposed to be there she should have been home right so true yeah she she agreed to stay longer so true um well louise would later tell abc news that she was terrified as i'm sure everyone listening to this can imagine and that she 
wanted to run at this point, but didn't want to run through the restaurant naked. So, you know, she was trapped back there. Her clothes had been physically removed from the room. She didn't have access to them. And the only concealment that she had was now in Walter's possession. Donna would return to the room periodically during this whole ordeal, and each time Louise, who was in tears, would beg to be let go and to be given her clothes back and would object to being searched by this total and complete stranger. Donna seemed to be empathetic toward Louise, but would deny her, saying that they were waiting for an officer to show up so that they could handle everything from there. Can these officers move any slower? That's the point. <laughs> like, right. So that way, at least she's like in... like. Not ideal still, but at least, like, in law enforcement custody, and it's not some random 43-year-old. Is that how old this span is? 43-year-olds, yeah. Yeah, some random old man. three times her age. Right. Yeah, no big time. Well, if you're sitting wherever you're listening to this thinking this is, you know, shocking and absurd and that this is simply just too unbelievable, I'm here to tell you that what happens next is all that and then some. But, again, I have to warn you that it may be hard to hear. Again, I just have to warn all of our listeners right now that we're about to describe some pretty graphic details about sexual assaults and sexual violence. So if you're not interested in hearing that, you may want to skip about five minutes forward in this podcast. The caller tells Walter that he needed to conduct a cavity search on Louise, an internal inspection of her body for possibly concealed items. And Walter agrees. He instructs Louise to bend over and to do jumping jacks to try and get whatever she may be hiding to shake loose, but as I'm sure you all piece together by now, nothing ever does. The instructions get even more sadistic, too. The caller isn't happy that Louise isn't calling Walter sir, and so the caller tells Walter that Louise needed to be punished for this, so he tells Walter to put Louise over his knee and spank her over and over and over again. He does it several times throughout this whole incident, and at one point spanks her for almost 10 minutes. By the end of this whole ordeal, Louise had visible red welts all over her buttocks. I, you saw, Jaw was on the ground. <laughs> Jaw was on the floor hearing, oh my gosh, like, I just am shocked. I don't know, like, the fact that anyone, yeah, and the fact that the man is doing, like, Walter is doing it. I think that's almost right. what's the worst part right. of all of this. I agree, yeah, and it gets so much worse, Marissa, so hold on for just a moment. Um, But, you know, again, throughout all of this, Donna would return, and Walter would put Louise's apron back over her naked body to conceal her while, you know, Donna was in the room. Louise would beg her to get her out of there, even asking her to call the police, but Donna would respond saying that there was an officer on the way. In all, this whole ordeal lasts more than three hours, and as they get close to that three-hour mark, the caller tells Walter to instruct Louise to do something despicable. He tells Walter that he wanted Louise to perform a sexual act on him, and for Louise's sake, I won't tell you what that sexual act was. Walter agrees and forces Louise to do this. I mean, I just, I don't know, like, this is, this is awful. And again, like I just said, the fact that Walter is, like, feeding into all of it is what's making this so much worse. Right. Yeah, I guess I just don't, like, this, obviously, this is when I'm just like, okay, like, like, this is when Walter, like, I could see, I guess, you know, a world where it's like, okay, like, like, you know, strip search this girl like 
okay, like if you think you're doing police a favor or, you know, some hero man, um, but you're not doing anyone a favor by doing sexual things to this girl. <sighs> so, yeah. You know, Donna, though, says that she was not aware that this had happened until later on. And once Walter is done, the caller tells Donna that she needs to bring someone else in to watch Louise. And she does. She brings in 58-year-old Thomas Sims, an off-duty maintenance worker. And the second that he gets on the phone and hears the caller's request, he realizes what is going on here. He is finally the person who says, this is a hoax call and hangs up the phone right away. Confused, Donna calls her store manager, who, as you may remember, the caller said was on the line with him the whole time. Well, when Donna gets in touch with her store manager, the glass shatters. The manager tells Donna that she had been asleep and had no idea what she was talking about, about this phone call or this officer. I just can't believe it took what, how many people have we gone through? Four? Because, I mean, you went, Donna. Four different people, yeah. Yeah, like... It took that many for someone to catch on to this and somebody to be like... That many adults, right? Like, I, like again, like, if this was, like, a bunch of 20-year-olds, like, no excuse necessarily, but, like, I guess I could, like, excuse it in terms of just, like, okay, they're a bunch of dumb kids, you know, they still... This was disgusting and awful and all that jazz, but these are, like... 40 plus year old people like what like uh, like sure like the one guy was 20 but like the youngest guy in the room was the was the one guy like who right away said this is like not cool so i just i don't like i just don't like that's what blows my mind more more so about any of this that like they are like they they should know better yeah, and like they no, did they they are the they are the problem in this in this part yeah no big time well, finally, Donna calls police for real this time, and officers from the Mount Washington Police Department arrive just a few minutes later, and the scene is tense. They walk through the now practically empty but still operating restaurant to the manager's office in the back and find Louise shivering, now clothed, and shook up. Louise tells them what happened, and they are able to pull up security camera video of this entire incident from the camera that was in the manager's office. And they see this entire three-hour-long bizarre scene play out all over again. The caller, the search, the several different strangers coming in, being told to do horrible things to Louise before finally someone comes in and puts an end to it all. Right away, Walter Nix is arrested and charged with sexual abuse, sexual misconduct, and unlawful imprisonment. Good. <laughs> I mean, he, like we said, he was a grown adult. He should have known better than to do that. Like, right. no matter well, what. I mean, listen, I don't, like, like, Donna, like, sure, should have known, like, 100% should have known better. Like, Walter, like inexcusable like just because someone you even an authority figure is telling you to cavity search a young girl and and telling you to tell her to do all sorts of just horrible disgusting things to you um does not mean you have to do it right and so like you like like yes should like be, should have known better is like the like the lowest bar here for him as far as i'm concerned yeah and also like the fact that after all this they finally called the police department like after, like, as long as it was, like, don't we think somebody should have called and been like, hey, like, y'all said y'all are coming. Anyone going to show up yet? Like, 
Right. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, and I, yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Really, I mean, I guess, but also to their defense, I suppose, right, like, like he was on the line, right? So, like, True. like, why would you call, I guess, I mean, if you thought that it was really him, you know, like, why would you call somebody, you know, if you have, like, direct contact with them? And, like, I, and again, like, they kept saying, you know, so sorry, you know, someone's coming, you know, we're, we're super short-staffed, and, like, that was the excuse. So... Anyways, but, you know, Walter insists that he believes he was following orders from a legit police officer and is, frankly, just as shook up about all of this as anyone else. Donna breaks up with Walter. They don't end up getting married. And Donna is also eventually fired from her job at McDonald's. Police immediately assume that whoever was on the phone must have been within sight of the McDonald's, likely making the call from a nearby payphone and getting off somehow, knowing what was happening inside and seeing the police responding eventually. And there is indeed a payphone at the Winn-Dixie across the street. But when they check that out, they figure out that the call did not come from that payphone. You know, like, it's just crazy to me because, like, could like obviously this was back in 2004 and not to age myself but I was only five years old (laughs) and so like could we not track phone calls at this time like where they were coming from like did that technology not exist? So they do end up finding out exactly where, okay. where this all came from. It just wasn't right away. But okay. So definitely hold that thought. Okay. But I like where you're going with that for sure. Um, but so I had, and I had I had a couple of thoughts here, like from where we kind of ended up in this investigation at this point. Like, so my initial thought when I first uh, heard, like was reading about this, watching this case play out was that somebody somehow must have been hacking into the cameras, right? And like watching it, you know, but it was, it was closed circuit, like, like cameras, like, like it was only, you know, whatever. I don't know. As far as I'm concerned, like doesn't doesn't really mean anything to me. Like I like Pete. Like hackers are gonna hack, right? Like so. I don't know. That was just my initial thought. Um, I don't know. What what do you think? I mean, for sure. Like I could see that, or maybe just like you know, just knowing this poor girl is being humiliated. But also, if they describe mm-hmm. the girl to like a T too, so like how? Well, so. True, and a good point, though, too, but, like, they also, so what they said, again, to recap that, like, it was a young, petite, brunette girl, which, like, I'm sure, like, every fast food restaurant probably has, right? Or every place of employment probably has with that kind of, like... Descriptor. Yeah, right, exactly. Like, like, I'm sure, I'm sure that's the case. So, but, so, but it was, like, but also, too, to that point, like, like, so vague enough that everyone probably has one, but, like, still specific enough that they probably only have one, right? Or, like, maybe two. Yeah, and, you know, obviously, in this case, I think part of it, too, is, like we said, like, she was there working, and so, like, you give this descriptor, and it matches her, and it's like, oh, well, Mm -hmm. obviously, then, this is who it is. Right, yeah, yeah. Well, after a while, the officer investigating this case had a hunch that this was not the first time that whoever made this call had struck. So, he went to Google and searched, and there were hundreds of results. Get ready for that big test with Study.com. Study.com offers learning materials and test prep, even LSAT study prep guides for all of my legal nerds listening. Unfortunately, there aren't any wine study guides, and believe me, I did check. Listeners can get 30% off their first three months of any subscription level using the promo code CRIMEOVERWINE. Again, that's promo code CRIMEOVERWINE, no spaces, for 30% off your first three months at Study.com. Learn faster, stay motivated, study smarter with our sponsor, Study.com.
all right, Marissa. So how is I see you pouring another glass. I think you're so I think you're liking it. Is that the is that the verdict? The verdict is it's good. Yeah. I do think it's definitely softening a good bit, right? Because when we first when I first opened it, I felt very, uh, there was a whole lot of flavors and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's definitely it's it's t- uh, you know taming down quite a bit. Um and so but but I still feel like like these this is like I am like even getting like just like relaxed right now, like even talking about this, even though this case is so wild. Um and so this is my kind of wine that I want to be able to just like sit on the couch with my like true crime docs or like my reality TV series and just like chill. No, the verdict is is that I need to start hanging out with Liam Moore to expand my wine horizons <laughs> from Listen. a Chardonnay. <laughs> I will always, I will always in, introduce, um, you know, new wines to my friends. So anytime, girly, anytime, I'm down for that. Really, just making me step out of my comfort zone. Well, let's get right back into into this case, though, Marissa, because we have there. It's it's this doesn't even scratch the surface what we're just talking about here. So let's 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 get back, shall we? Yes, I'm excited to hear like more of what happens. Yes. So the detective found as many as a hundred different calls placed at fast food restaurants. All across the United States, Burger Kings, Taco Bells, Wendy's, you name it. The calls have been placed over a span of at least 12 years, but they all were remarkably similar. A manager getting a call about a theft from an officer who then instructs the manager to strip and cavity search that person. Even some of the callers use the same officer's name. In Hinesville, Georgia, a McDonald manager reported being told to conduct a cavity search of a 19-year-old female employee. In Fargo, North Dakota, a Burger King manager said they were told to strip search a 17-year-old male employee. In Phoenix, Arizona, a Taco Bell manager said they were told to strip search a customer inside the restaurant that they had to pick out. And around the area of Boston, Massachusetts, there were three different calls to three different Wendy's stores in a single day. But all the same thing. A manager conducting a strip search of an employee at the direction of a supposed police officer. In one case, a female manager was told to touch an underage male employee in really inappropriate ways, including on his genitalia. I, you know, thought it was crazy, right? And then it's happening everywhere. But then you say a 17-year-old male employee. But then you Mm -hmm. go, then they're told to search a customer. Mm -hmm. And then I'm at a loss for words, honestly, that this was happening so, what seems so frequently. Yeah. All over the country. All over the country. And so they ended up putting it together that this all happened, like, like over the span of, like, 12 years, all these cases ended up ended up happening. And, again, so the one, let me just be so crystal clear, like, the 100 cases that we're talking about were successful cases from, from the caller's perspective. And so I can't even imagine how many times this, you know, this guy called places and like the manager immediately called BS and was like, there's no way this is real. You know, like I, like, like I, I can't even fathom like how many times that, 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 you know, how many times he actually tried to execute this thing. Uh, Yeah. And I think just the fact that, like we said, like he was doing it everywhere. Like it wasn't like Mm -hmm. he didn't have a certain type of victim as you know, you've shown, like we've seen men, we've seen women. It does seem maybe a little bit younger, but I mean, we don't know how old the customer was, I guess, but same idea. Like, it doesn't seem like there was a certain, you know, victim archetype that he was looking for. Right. And so I think that's also part of the craziness of all this. Yeah. Like, 
yeah. Well, but and to that point though too, like it does like sir like sure he wasn't targeting anybody like specifically that way, but to me like what first crossed my mind is like I think about like like the kids right that like typically that you typically understand as being fast food employees like they are just you know there to to pass the time they're there to they're there to get the extra buck and also like these environments right because it's corporate like are so regimented right like they have like your set of rules they have the book that you have to follow this is what you have to do every day this is what you this is how like this is how you behave when this happens to you right like we have like this like perfect like frame of things to happen that we have expected to happen on a regular basis this not being one of them you know what i mean like so so it's like it's almost like like the perfect you know set of circumstances where you can just call and like like put people in a position that they simply don't know what else to do right and so like to that so to that point like like sure they're not like um you know like targeting like a specific like you know like younger woman or like you know like like you know black men or whatever but like they are still targeting like a very you know vulnerable section of the population and i'm sure that they knew that oh yeah and i mean like again yeah they're all minors they're all just there to get Mm -hmm. well not minors i guess but high school age kids younger young kids yeah and I mean, just obviously, I think knowing they were going to go along with it because that's kind of what they were probably told to do. Right. What else are you going to do? Lose your job, I guess. Yeah. I mean, what what else are you going to do? Where else are you going to go? You know? So a detective around the Boston area that was picking up this case was getting really frustrated looking at this case and not getting anywhere with it by this time until one day when he gets a call from a detective in Mount Washington, Kentucky, who's looking into the sexual assault of Louise Ogborn. That detective says that he has a phone number for a case that he thinks it connects to the case that he's working on. So, obviously, you know, earlier we kind of talked about, you know, the phone and, like, how are they going to trace this phone number back and everything. And obviously, 2023, it'd be pretty simple, more likely than not. Mm-hmm. But we're not talking 2023, we're talking, like early 2000s and so I mean I just think it's interesting that not only was he able to find a phone number but like connect to an officer halfway across the country and be like I think I have the phone number you need yeah well so again so keep in mind so this detective is the same dude who's like typing into google and like all of these cases are popping up and so I'm sure that he that it was a news story about this and was like oh I need to call up like this sounds like the same dude yeah he's probably calling every detective in the country and being like Right. Hey, brother, we're Pretty all much. working on the same case. True. Yeah, no big time. So, Liam, how did he get that phone number? Well, luckily, a quick-thinking employee at the McDonald's in Mount Washington, Kentucky, dialed star 69 into the phone, which, for those of us, you know, old enough to remember landlines, would, would immediately dial the most recent number. So, because of that, they were able to get the number and trace it back to a calling card purchased through AT&T. Okay, so I do remember landlines. Don't worry. But for me, star 69 was how you prank called people. You would put star 69 and then the phone number and then it would block your number. That's star 67. Oh, well, (laughs) I'm proving time and time again I'm only 24. Okay. You're close. You're getting. You're, you're, no, you're on the right track, though. But 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 the star sixty nine thing would even work with star sixty seven. Um. So like that's it's important to like you know keep like all that context in mind here. Oh wow. Okay. So even if you block your number, it could figure right. out what that number was. Okay. Right. Well then, exactly. my next question is: since we got through that part, what the heck is a calling card? 
Okay, well, again, Marissa, we're talking about, like, super dated technology here, so, like, hold on, like, keep your Gen Z, you know, pants on here, but um, they are still, you know, sold today, technically, but, you know, today they're more used for cell phone plans that still charge you by the minute. But basically, a calling card is sort of like a prepaid credit card used specifically for phone services. Back in 2004, they were mainly used to make long-distance phone calls and used to make calls from a payphone. Well, then that kind of makes sense because since he was seeing I'm I'm assuming there's only one suspect. I guess it could be a team of people. But seemingly calling people all over the country, you would need to call long distance. Right. And kind of make that a little obsession. And you also don't want that to coming back to like your personal phone, right? So like they probably like it probably would make sense that they were um, you know, using it from a payphone, like using this to pay for a payphone. Yeah, because Obviously, if you use your own phone, more likely you're probably going to get caught easier. Right. Than whatever we're going through right now. Right, exactly. Because can they track these calling cards? Well, through some subpoenas and some investigatory work, too, police are able to track this card down, Marissa. They were able to determine that the call didn't come from Kentucky. It didn't come from Massachusetts. It didn't even come from Georgia or North Dakota or Arizona. The call was made from a payphone in Panama City, Florida. And the calling cards that were used to place the calls in Massachusetts and in Kentucky were purchased at two different Walmart stores in the city. Okay, so this guy is nowhere near anything that he's doing. Why on earth is this person in Panama City, who seemingly so far has no relation to any of these other locations, and how is he finding the phone number for McDonald's in Kentucky? Mm, I have a lot of questions still, Liam. Well, Google is still around, right? And so, like, just type in, like, whatever, and just, like, find a, like, fast food restaurant du jour, right? Like, do whatever the heck you want to. So, um, that answers that. But, you know, detectives do run into a bit of a problem at first. Walmart does agree to give them security camera video, so lucky them. But as police tell Netflix's docuseries, don't pick up the phone, the video is really bad. Like, really poor quality, like, one frame per second. And it's of the door and various different places around the store and not even of the register. So there just isn't really much to go off of there. But Walmart is also able to give the security camera video from the Walmart store where the calling card from the Mount Washington, Kentucky call was made. And in that store, the video is much better. It's higher quality and it's focused squarely on the registers. So they sift through and go right to when they know this calling card was purchased. And bingo. There's our guy right there in pure color. The calling card is scanned in at the register right there, right on schedule. But the problem is because of the camera angle, they can't really get a super good look at this guy. It really could be like any middle-aged, taller white dude with brown hair. Luckily, though, they can go back to the original tape where the video angle is such that you could see every single face of every single person who walked into the store that day. And as they sift through, there he is. Clear as day, walking right into the store, they are confident that this is the same dude. I'm so proud of them. (laughs) That's all I have to say. So proud that we have used deductive reasoning here to figure Mm -hmm. it out because, I mean... I know both of us, obviously, working in news, have seen sometimes those security <laughs> security images that are shared in 
you can't tell. So like the fact that we have to think again, like it's 2004 and they were able to do this. Like it's kind of blowing my mind. <laughs> we can't even do it in 2023. But you know, like to that point though, like, um, like, you know, cause we talk about like typically again on this podcast, like we're talking about a lot of really touchy cases, a lot of like cases that, you know, a lot of unsolved cases and a lot of times it can be really frustrating to like, you know, to be like talking about these cases and just see these, you know, officers who like seemingly are just like sitting on like, like a freaking crap ton of information or like make the wrong move or like do something illegal or shady or like, you know, seemingly like, like swept under the rug kind of thing. It, like, so to that point, like this is like the complete opposite of that, right? Like this is like, these guys are like not giving this up. Like they clearly like are like personally and like too, like, and I have to probably say this, like, like these are, you know, smaller towns, like this like hits home so much more when this kind of thing happens because you probably like an actual in the docu series, like the, the detective from the Mount Washington Police Department, even says that she that he's neighbors with Louise, and so like that's the kind of relationships that we're talking about here. And so like I can easily see why you know your you know hat of just like I'm not giving this up. Period. Like this is all I'm working on. I'm not stopping until it's solved. No, and I mean that takes a lot from them because you can tell like just from all this they were very much dedicated mm-hmm. and ready to figure yeah. it out and like not giving up. It, and give put a lot of brain power into it. You had police departments across the country trying to figure this one out. Right. Yeah. But there is something about him, though, Marissa, that sends shivers up their spine. This guy looks like he had either just come from or was on his way to work. And they know that because of the uniform that he's wearing. And right away, they realize that their suspect, the one who has called almost 100 stores in more than 30 states across the country and convinced managers to do horrible things to employees and customers, all while giving them the impression that he is a law enforcement officer, is an actual real-life cop. These detectives decide that in order to get to the bottom of this whole situation, they need to go to Panama City, Florida. And when they do, they are able to track down the calls to just a few phone booths in town. According to Netflix's Don't Pick Up the Phone, investigators meet with the Panama City police detectives and show them the security camera videos of their suspect. The investigators tell them that they don't recognize this guy at all and that the uniform actually isn't a police uniform at all, but it is a corrections officer uniform that's actually very interesting and the only reason i say that is because obviously as a corrections officer i mean a lot of times they are the ones performing strip searches like when people are coming Mm. into the jail and stuff uh, i marissa never that thought never even crossed my mind you're so right about that cops cops don't do that yeah i mean i don't know a whole lot about what like obviously all that but i know for sure obviously it's corrections officers when they're coming into the jail so obviously he was going to know what how to direct these people and what to do because it's his day-to-day activity marissa that is so true never that thought never even crossed my mind i'm sure that they do that like like multiple times a day you're so right about that yeah and so he was probably on the phone and he was like well yeah just because i know when you mentioned to me like the jumping jacks i don't know why but that was like really like Mm. interesting to me and so obviously he would know something like that is going to kind Mm -hmm. of if anything is hidden anywhere make it fall out and how would he know that because he does it every day right well the detectives end up visiting the jails in the area to ask them if they knew this guy and eventually they get a hit 
they get to a corrections facility where the employees are able to identify their suspect. They said he was 38-year-old David Stewart, a married father of three, and when police looked into this guy, they found out that he had a long history in law enforcement. They found out that he, you know, always wanted to be a cop and even volunteered as a deputy at a small department in West Florida. But when he couldn't become a cop, he ended up becoming a corrections officer to continue to pursue a career in upholding the law, at least on his standards. That... Okay, a lot here. Father of three really got to me. Mm-hmm. Wanting, to, wanting to be a cop. Yeah, for whatever reason, like when, like I pictured this dude as just like in a basement somewhere, and like that's his life. But no, I mean he sounds like he has children, which again, going back to I know we talked about this like with the whole victim thing. I mean, obviously he was thirty eight, so I imagine his three children aren't, you know as old as the victims he was Super going old, through yeah. but i mean at the same time you have to think like what was going on in his head like that could have been mm. his son or his daughter oh, which yeah. when usually when like parents are involved in this stuff i'm always like how like how do you yeah so what happens with him Leon? You know, like what's next for his life <laughs> well the corrections employees say that if they want to talk to david they can because he's working right now he's right down the hallway so they bring him in they bring david to a conference room to start asking him some questions and almost right away the investigators tell david why they're there that he had been identified as a suspect in a series of hoax calls that resulted in sexual assaults among other things across the country and david denies 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 he says that he had nothing to do with anything that they were talking about even denies having ever bought a single calling card in his his whole life. And at the time, police didn't have anything solid against David. So when they were done with him and after he, you know, started pleading the Fifth Amendment, they just let him go. And that was that. You hate to hear that. <laughs> that is the thing you hate to hear the most because, I mean, we have camera footage of him buying the phone cards. I guess we don't have anything showing he made the phone calls, really. But right. you hate to hear that he was just allowed to walk free without much more being done. Yeah, right. Well, and, like, too, like, you have to, like, I don't know, like, from the from these detectives' perspective, like, they've been looking for this guy for, like, like we don't even talk about, like, the time span. Like, I think it's been, like, four months since Louis Ogborn um, at this point. And so, like, we're talking, like, like, he's right there, right? And so, like, they're, like, finally they figured out who the heck this guy was minutes ago. Right. And so, like, I can imagine the initial instinct of just like, let's just like get him in here and tell him why we're here and try to get him to squeal. Um, But but also, too, like, you have to imagine that, like, like, there's probably like a little part of you that probably like it probably would have worked out better if you had, you know, played it cool a little bit. You know, maybe, you know, just kind of like, you know, hey, we're trying to figure this, trying to figure some things out and then go to go like tail the dude, try to catch him in the act. Um, but like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I could see kind of how this whole thing kind of played out the way that it did. Well, and also like obviously his history in law enforcement or whatever, you know, corrections officer, like wanting to be in law enforcement and everything. Mm-hmm. Like he of all people was going to know how, how to respond, how to act when they kind of threw right. this on him. Um, I'm sure, you know, that wasn't something he was ever thinking about because I'm sure he was thinking he wasn't going to get caught, but at the same yeah. time. Well, yeah, he got he, he was getting away with it for 12 years, right? 
yeah, but at the same time, in the back of his head, I'm sure it was like, well, if I ever do get caught, like, this is what I'll say, this is how I'll play it, like, it'll be fine. Right. But police are able to get a warrant to search David's home, though, and when they execute that search warrant, um, according to Netflix's uh, Don't Pick Up the Phone, police find several police manuals and publications and several applications and job listings from agencies across the area. He was clearly obsessed with becoming a law enforcement officer in some way, and then they find what seems like the jackpot. It is dozens of calling cards, just like the ones that they were definitively able to tie back to the calls that they were investigating, including one that matched back directly to a call that's on their radar at a Burger King in Idaho, where a female manager got a call telling her to strip search a male employee nearly a year before the call at Louise Ogborn's McDonald's. As crazy as this is about to sound, it's almost like all these police forces coming together is what's really going to get him. Because they're able to use so much more evidence and whatnot that, like, because if they, you know, if it was just Louis Ogburn's call that they were, like, looking into, like, if they wouldn't have found that exact Not a whole lot. Yeah. calling card, like, it wouldn't matter. Like, that would have gotten us nowhere. But because they had so many cases to choose from, I mean, he he yeah. kind of nailed <laughs> nailed the coffin with that one. Yeah, and but and to to that point, because because the way that they're gonna nail this guy at this point, right, is is to connect him tangentially, you know, or circumstantially to as many cases as possible, right? Because they're not gonna find that smoking gun. It's just not gonna happen in this case. Um, but they can, you know, say, well, like we found the calling card that connects to this case and this case and this case, like in this dude's home, and like you know, like caught him on camera, like buying this calling card that connects to this case, and so. It just, like, I don't know, it, like, 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 so you need all those agencies coming together. And, like, a lot of times, like we've seen in these types of cases, it, it feels very much so, like, the more agencies that are involved, like, the more power dynamics are going on. That's not this case at all, which I very much so appreciate and recognize here, um, because a lot of times it can just be, like, stepping over, you know, power struggles, stepping on toes and stuff, and that's not what's happening. Oh, yeah, no, they very much work together, and you can tell that they did, because it was like they were going to find a way to mm-hmm. get this guy, no matter what it took. Right. Yeah. Well, David is arrested and charged with solicitation of sodomy and impersonating a police officer facing 15 years in prison. And he pleads not guilty. He's given a half million dollar bond, which was eventually reduced to just a hundred thousand dollars. And David ends up posting that and, and, and is released from jail. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, happy to hear he's arrested and charged. Not happy to hear he was able to be released, obviously. Um, I'm, 15 years to me doesn't seem like enough time. That's kind of one of my mm. first gut reactions, especially knowing how long this went on for. Um, I mean, 12 years and he's only going to have to spend 15 in response. Yeah. Well, so to be clear, like, this is just for Louise's case. Oh, like, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so it's not for the 100 plus. Oh, okay, okay, okay. No, nope, just for Louise. Yeah, so basically, and there's, like, a really good way to, like, describe that, like, like they describe it pretty well in the docuseries, but basically, like, the, the detective from Massachusetts is, like, is mainly the dude who, who goes um, down to Florida to, like, feel this whole thing out, like, question David, all that jazz, um, and when they 
they finally like execute the search warrant and get all their evidence and, and, and all that stuff. Um, he ends up calling to like a bunch of different agencies and saying, Hey, like we found like direct evidence, direct evidence to this case. Like we found direct evidence to this case. And every single one of them decided that it wasn't enough to, to pursue charges yet. Um, except for the detective in Mount Washington, Kentucky, who says, no, like bring it like we're like, let's go. Love that man. <laughs> Meanwhile, Walter and Donna are both facing their own trials. In March of 2006, Walter ends up pleading guilty to his charges and is sentenced to five years in prison. Donna ends up taking an Alford plea, meaning that she admitted that there was enough evidence to convict her, but she still maintains her innocence. And Donna is only sentenced to probation. I'm honestly shocked that the both of them um, end up even going to trial. Um, Just... Especially, like, I get why, but also with knowing now what we know about this case of, like, it was really somebody else's thing. And I guess, you know, obviously they kind of Mm -hmm. assisted to it, but it's not like... Because when you first started telling the story, I thought Walter... I won't lie, I thought Walter was involved. I thought Walter was, like, with the fake Mm -hmm. police officer and making this all happen type of thing. Yeah. But now hearing all this, I don't think he had any involvement in the planning of it. And so hearing that they still took both of them to trial it's crazy yeah well i mean like again like they like like just because somebody is on the phone with you telling you to do these kinds of things does not mean you have to do it no matter like no matter who it is right like like if it's illegal it's illegal um especially walter yeah which i think we can all agree is like evil disgusting like all that jazz like i kind of sympathize a little bit with donna because i really don't think that she 100 percent knew you know like what was going on like again she should have known better but i could see like this world of just like like i really thought that i was doing the right thing well and then donna every time donna came back into the office they like the apron was put back on louise and like mm-hmm. it was kind of like right i guess not hidden but in a way like she didn't fully no, know the extent of what was happening when she wasn't in the room right yeah and like like again like the um like you know logical like you know humanistic side of me has to imagine that like if donna knew that you know that walter was sexually assaulting this girl like in the back like i'm like i'm sure that she would have or i would hope anyways that she, that that's the point that she would have stepped in um and said that this no 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 like i could see a strip search maybe can't personally but like sure um but like i can't see sexual assault happening yeah. and like a police officer telling you to commit this and have this be okay so yeah no i'm with you walter deserves every second of his punishment but yeah yeah again they were both the adults in the situation so they should have both theoretically knew better right well, David ends up going to trial in the fall of 2006. They show the video, they present the calling cards, and prosecutors lay out evidence that for every single call that was on their list, David Stewart was off of work and had the opportunity to make the call. But David's attorney starts to point to the lack of connective evidence that would point a finger directly at David Stewart. Sure, he had the calling card that connected to one single state that wasn't even, you know, Louise's, by the way. But in even if every single calling card that he had in his home connected to a case, that didn't mean that he made the, those calls. 
Plus, David's big argument is that even if he did make those calls, that doesn't make him responsible for the sexual assaults. A reasonable person would have, wouldn't have gone along with it, right? Therefore, the fault here truly would lie with the managers, the assaulters, and even the victims, according to their arguments in these cases, to know better than to have allowed all of this to happen and to go along with it. Not the caller who, again, attorneys insist was not David Stewart. I mean, I think that just, it's that last part, I think, where it's like they're kind of putting the blame on the victims to have known mm -hmm. better. I just feel like a lot of the victims right. in this situation felt like they had no other choice. Yeah, we're trapped. We're trapped. That's what I mean. That's what she said, right? Like, like, and they even asked her, like, in, like, in this, like, like when, she, like, Louise, like, ended up testifying and, like, what we're about to talk about. Um, like, she, like, they, they asked her. They were like, "Did you try the door?" And she was like, "No." Like, what, else, what was I supposed to do? Even if the door was unlocked, like I was standing there naked. Like, what was I supposed to do? Yeah, exactly. They had her keys. They had her clothes. They had everything on her right. person run out of the mcdonald's naked and then go where it's not like she could go get in a car and drive yeah. away right like right she was helpless right. well and and too like to that point too because like louise in louise's mind like i'm sure that she thought that this guy was a legit police officer and so if if she really did think that she that this guy was a legit police officer like who are you gonna call right like like you you run out of out of a out of a you know mcdonald's and like your first you know, the first time you can get, you can call somebody to tell them what what has happened to them is the guys who work with the guys, you know, again, according to her thinking at the time, probably, who who are doing the things to you, right? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you call police, but you think you're talking to the police and this is what the police wants to happen. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to call them back. Exactly. Well... Um, brace yourself here, Marissa, a little bit, because after a two-hour-long deliberation, the jury agreed with David's attorney. They said that there wasn't enough evidence that David was the person behind the call and that there wasn't enough evidence that he was responsible or even liable for the assault. They returned a not-guilty verdict. I mean, I guess, you know, obviously in that courtroom at that time, they just didn't see the evidence being strong enough to point him to the crimes. Um, mm -hmm. And I kind of get, you know, the liability thing. Like, like we've talked about, Walter didn't have to do what he did to her. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know, it sucks. And like, again, like, like regardless of whether or not David was like actually the person to, to actually make those calls. Right. Because like, like he was found not guilty. So like you have to, you know, Trust that, I suppose. But um, but what sucks, I guess, in all of this is that, like, I kind of, to a certain extent, right, like, you know, give, um, you know, like, Donna and, like, Walter, like, a little bit of, you know, victimization allowance here, like, the tiniest bit, only because, like, if the guy never calls, like, they never did this, right? And so, like, that to that point, like, it just, I guess it just kind of stinks that, like they are the ones, like the only two people who went to jail in all of this, or like got in like got you know got convicted of anything in all of this, were the two people who didn't make the call. Like the person who who made the call, who made the call, never went to jail, regardless of whether or not it was David. Yeah, no, I agree. So, are there is there any kind of good resolution to this case, Liam? Well, certainly, you know, like we were just talking about, Marissa. No one in this case truly wins, right? But there is some kind of ending that does resemble some kind of justice here. Crime Over Wine is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
As someone who's used therapy for years, I know that finding a therapist can sometimes be a stress on its own, juggling your full-time job, your family, your friends, your podcast, and trying to find the right therapist on top of that can almost feel impossible. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp matches you with a therapist that works for you on your terms. It's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to one of 33,000 licensed professional therapists in as little as a few days. And because finding a new therapist is a lot like finding a new bottle of wine, if you don't jive with your therapist, you can easily switch to a new one at no additional cost. You can get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp by going to betterhelp.com slash crimeoverwine. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crime over wine for 10% off your first month. Join over 4 million people who decided to get help and get happy with BetterHelp. Louise Ogborn sues McDonald's for $200 million in 2006. She says that this whole event gave her so much PTSD and really, and she really struggled to recover from the trauma of what happened to her. She even canceled her plans to attend the University of Louisville. Louise claimed that McDonald's was indeed actively aware of this trend of hoax calls that dated back more than a decade prior to Louise's call, but didn't do enough to stop it or warn their employees. The jury agreed, and they awarded Louise Ogborn more than $6 million in damages. I mean, you know what? Good for her. (laughs) Because... I'm sure, like we said, as long as this was going on, like, it had to get back to corporate and the fact that they weren't warning other franchise locations of calls other locations were getting, especially since they were happening all over the country. I mean, I guess that's a fair point. They they were liable if they did know, you know? Yeah. Well, and... Yeah, and there was a lot of evidence that was laid out in this trial that, you know, pointed them squarely at, like, they knew and, like, didn't do anything. Like, and, and like, they claimed to have sent, like, notices and left voicemails to, to some of the, to, to the franchises to say, hey, this is what happened. But so many, like, pr- like, person after person after person said, I never got that. I never saw this. Like, it was, it was all, like, like, I don't know. I don't want to say that they, like, lied about it or, like, covered it up in any way because, like, that's, it's very accusatory, but it certainly like wasn't to the extent of like you know like like we're seeing a lot of these types of things happening like if like you are likely to see this happen at some point or another and when you do this is what you do um you know because and and, you know who knows what could have happened if if that you know message came through like crystal clear you know yeah like it could have all been different they could have realized it was a hoax from the start right Well, today, Louise is married with two girls, and there are several fictionalized depictions of these kinds of cases in pop culture, including on an episode of Law & Order SVU and a movie called Compliance. As for the calls, though, they stopped, and they stopped in June of 2004, the month that David Stewart was arrested and charged in connection to the call to the Mount Washington, Kentucky McDonald's. Interesting. Interesting that it took, that they stopped around the same time. 
right. Seems a little, seems a little planned. Right. Well, and like, like, again, like to be clear, like it very well could have been just like a, like, like the news got out. Right. And like some, like whoever was actually, again, like play devil's advocate here. I see you rolling your eyes. I feel the same way. Um, But like, you know, let's just say whoever like actually was out there doing this, like, you know, could have seen the news. Okay. Well, they caught somebody. Now is my chance to stop before I get caught. Yeah, no, that's probably another fair thing to think. I mean, Mm -hmm. and also who knows, you know, if they never would have caught him, how much longer it could have gone on. Right. And it probably was for the best no matter who, who it was making these awful, awful phone calls that they came to a stop when they did. Yeah, you know, you're right about that. And yeah, I I don't know. I I just keep going back to like, like that questioning, like that interrogation of David, like the initial, like, like stop here. And I just, like, think about, like, like what if they had just, like, followed him, right? Instead of, like, tried to trying to get him to confess or do whatever, like, what if they had just tried to catch him in the act and then, like, gone from there? I just, I don't know. I mean, and I'm sure that, like, keeps them up at night, so, like, like fair. But, like, I just... I don't know. And, like, like, and in the moment, too, right? Like, you can't know, like, what would have worked better. So, like, I put, I give them that kind of credit. But, man, it just, it keeps me, like, like, my head spinning on that front, so. Yeah. And, I mean, like you said, the call stopped. And even if it wasn't him, like, part of me wonders now, like, okay, if the jury mm-hmm. would have convicted him, but it wasn't him, like, would the call still have stopped? Right. Like, you know, there's no way, I guess, really to know. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I would have to imagine that they would, right? Because otherwise, what was the... Like, again, yeah. David Stewart was simply completely innocent in all of this. Like, like, what was the point of stopping them in June of 2004? Like, if you were just going to wait to see if he got convicted, like, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, but... Uh, I don't know. It's just, like, nobody wins, yeah. right? Like, nobody wins. Like, Donna, like, you know, got convicted of whatever. Like, Louise, obviously, is, like, the person who definitely doesn't freaking win, despite, like, $6 million in her bank account. You know, like, uh, it's just so bad. So it's bad. just, for all of them, there was, like, no resolution. I feel like, like, there's no closure because you right. don't know really what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say, too, though, like, and again, this is all, like, I highly recommend the docuseries. It, like, blew my mind the first time I saw this. Um, like, toward the end, they were talking about how, like, good it was, um, you know, and they interviewed, like, a bunch of these women who were involved in a bunch of these different cases. And, like, the the good part, I guess, in all of this, right, and, like, all of this coming to light um, was them talking about how, like, like even though they didn't, you know, like, um, you, like, like get justice i suppose or like find somebody who was actually responsible for this whole situation or like some people like you know got kind of laughed off the stage kind of thing like in terms of like when they finally raised the red flag about this about what had happened to them um they did say that like the silver lining in all of this was like in all of this coming to light was um the fact that they now know that like they weren't alone like that for a long time they thought that like what had happened to them like only happened to them and they felt really stupid because they fell for it um and so now that, like, the world kind of knows, like, what was happening it, at, like, dozens of different stores across the country and, like, dozens of other people fell for it, they feel, like, like a lot less dumb that, like, they, that they weren't the only ones who thought this was a legit thing. No, that makes sense. It makes, it kind of gives them a way to all kind of connect and realize they yeah. all went through it. 
Yeah, and move on from it, right? Because I'm sure, because I'm sure that eats you alive. That has to, right? Like, like, like every day you have to, like, you know, think, like, like, what if I, you know, like, smartened up? Like, was I really just so stupid for, to 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 fall for this kind of thing? And so now to know that like somebody else did too, a lot of other people did too. Like that has to be a lot of closure to just be like, okay. Like, let, we're putting that behind us now. Like, we, like, that's, like, like that was, like, a horrible, awful thing to happen to me. Um, but, you know, it could have happened to anybody, and it just happened to happen to me. No, exactly. I think that's a good way to put it, and I'm sure yeah. what a lot of them feel. Yeah. Well, um, that, after all that whole ride of a case, um, you know, let's just, like, put a bu- button on this one and say um, that, that is all that we have for you this week, Marissa. So thank you so much for coming on. Liam, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy we were able to make this happen. It, I know it's been it's been a long yes. time coming. <laughs> yeah, big time. Well, I'm so glad you finally did this. And tell everyone where they can find you and your work online if you'd like to. Oh, my goodness. Well, my social media is across the board are Marissa A. Stacy, Marissa with one R, two S's. I know that gets confusing no e and stacy either but pretty much every social media platform i use that's my go-to username for now and ever at this point (laughs) okay well i'm not gonna lie i know how to how to spell your first last name and even i just got lost of what you said so with that being said (laughs) go to our social media pages and go and because we will tag marissa in all of those posts to say hey this is how you can find marissa um so go find her there um but in the meantime thank you again so much for coming on marissa and thank you all so much for listening we are going to put all of our sources on our website so you can read everything for yourself and probably come up with a few theories too and if you're just loving this podcast and are just looking for a way to tell everyone and anyone about it, the best way to help people discover this podcast is by leaving us a five-star rating and a review wherever you are listening right now. So make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you're wondering what we have in store for you next week, here's a quick sneak peek. Hello, everybody. It's Liam. And I'm Jamie Snover. Next week, I'm joining the Crime Vineyard, and we're talking about an infamous and brutal Indiana murder, which has dragged on for almost 35 years. It is quite a ride, and we can't wait to tell you all about it. But you'll have to wait until next Wine Wednesday for another episode of Crime Over Wine. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.